The world is coming undone. Imperial flags reign across the galaxy. Can you be trusted without your shackles? Let's just get this over with, shall we? We have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent. We need to know how to destroy it. If you're really doing this, I want to help. Good. Good. I've been recruiting for the Rebellion for a long time. We destroyed our home! I fight the Empire now. I fear nothing. All is as the Force wills it. The Captain says you are a friend. I will not kill you. Thanks. There isn't much time. Every day they grow stronger. There is a 97.6% chance of failure. He means well. This is our chance to make a real difference. Are you with me? Hello everybody and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program where we ask the ever-important question, Is It Yours? Today we're looking at Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and for that I brought in my ever-present Ed McMahon-like sidekick, Dr. William Robinson. <laughs> yes. And I wanted to bring in a Star Wars specialist of a sort, so since there were none available, I asked Scott Rifen to come on. <laughs> Well, well, best, yeah, best you can get. Well, as as I was saying when we were talking before, one of my concerns a little bit was because of your Star, Star Wars love, uh, you've already been on several podcasts with this because I think you are a sought-out guy for this particular topic. Well. Uh, but despite that, I said, you know what? I don't care if, he's, if his voice is being held in other, heard in other places. I want him on here. I've been wanting to, <laughs> to invite you on to do something, and this just seemed like such a fit that I, I don't care how many shows you did. I wanted you on this one, too. Yeah, we haven't. you and I have not been together in quite some time, and that's, that's been a source of pain and irritation for me. Well, it's been more a byproduct of poor scheduling and timing, because usually when I need a guy to jump on, you're... you're, you're Ready and able, or you're willing and able, just not ready. Because <laughs> usually the timing is just bad. Because yes. it's, it's, it's happening when you're recording something else, or when somehow, I, I don't understand this whole thing, you have to go to bed because you've got to get up at like four in yeah. the morning. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, that's the biggest obstacle to a lot of this, is that I, I'm, I've kind of gotten pretty protective of my nights. Because my day job is just, uh, it starts so early, and I have found that the older I get, the worse I do it on less sleep. Yeah, well, that's. I think that's that's a fact of life, unfortunately. Yeah. And I, and I just have the suspicion that sometimes at night your wife wants to hang out with you. I, I don't know, but... Nah. <laughs> so, 
Why don't we go uh, now? I'll start with me. I've seen this once. Uh, I saw it uh, Christmas week, uh, a couple of days before Christmas, in 2D, but on an IMAX screen. And the only negative about my experience seeing it was we saw it at night, and as as we were talking about, as you get older, nighttime becomes a little less energetic. So I was a little tired while I was watching it, and I'm afraid, you know, there might have been some subtleties that passed me by because of that. How many times have you seen this? Me? Yes. Uh, I have seen it at the theater four times. Mm. Uh, Planning on going back this weekend if I could find the time. Um, And I will also tell you this. I think this is an interesting thing to note. I fell asleep all four times. Ooh, that's so, that could be telling for your ultimate grade. <laughs> they were at different parts, thank goodness. But all four times I have fallen asleep during this film. Oh, that's, hmm. I, I, you know, I, 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 I did actually, I said I avoided everything. The only thing I did see was you did a live recording, I think, from the car as you were coming home from one of the viewings. Yes. And you mentioned yes. falling asleep in that. So I had forgotten about that yep. until just now. That was, that was the second time I saw it. That was the first time I saw it. I really could not pull my thoughts together well, and I, which shocked me because usually I have no problem pulling my thoughts together. And um, so the second time it really kind of crystallized. And I went back, I think, the next day to see it again and uh, you know, really got more going. And then about a week and a half or so later, I went and saw it with a buddy of mine who, by the way, also fell asleep. So I didn't feel too bad. <laughs> wow. Well, the the fact that you had trouble putting your thoughts together might coincide with one of my criticisms of the movie. And I don't want to be overly critical right out of the shoot because I did overall like it. I'll give you that. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, but, but I do have some criticisms of some of the pacing issues with the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that could lend itself to falling asleep a little bit. Yep. Bill, have you seen this just once also or did you see it more than that yet? I have seen it once. Uh, I took I took uh, my son and my daughter Sarah. We went and saw it on like a Saturday afternoon, 2D, because um, I'm not driving all well. Because I'm also not driving all the way to Tampa just to see IMAX and everything else. I'm like, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll just we'll see here locally. Um, yeah. I did not fall asleep, although I could see where that could ha- happen. In some areas, um, without getting too much into my thoughts on the movie, it, it's going to sound a lot like the last time I was on Is It Jaws, and that's all I'll say to that. Okay, and I, I know what you're talking about, and everybody else will find out, but that's uh, I, I, we had this conversation the other night when we were hoping to record this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but circumstances prevented us from doing that. Uh, so now I'm curious with each of you, before seeing it, what was your exposure to what this was? Other than I think everybody knew, okay, this is the story of how they got the plans for the Death Star. Did you have any knowledge beyond that? Um, no, other than what was in the trailer. And I had some <laughs> foreknowledge from playing, um, which, yeah, yeah, that, that's another topic. Yeah, you say um, what was in the trailer, but how which, much which, of that was in the movie? Yeah, which was not in the movie. Yeah. TIE Fighters, anyone? TIE Fighter? TIE Fighter? I was supposed to have a TIE fighter here. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, but I, um, I was kind of, I actually got to play it because I have um, Star Wars Battlefront and the new DLC, which is downloadable content, was out for uh, Planet Scarif. So, luckily, there was no spoilers for the movie. You just get in and you know just shoot around, get killed, and then 
move on. So, so it was a spoiler for the movie. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess it was. Yeah, except I just die over and over again on each side. So, but uh, yeah, but you didn't climb any towers or anything. So there was no there was no real spoilers other than um, seeing what the characters were like. And e- even then, you only got got to have like the the shore troopers, the scarif rebels, and um, Jen Urso and Director Krennic. There was no CGI Tarkins or Leia's about. How about you, Scott? Were you spoiler-free, or had you kind of picked up on some things? Well, I mean, how spoiler-free can you be in a movie that you know ends five minutes before episode four? Um, well, I didn't really know that. <laughs> well, that's yeah, I didn't they realize how much it was going to abut the new uh, new. Home. Yeah. No, they kept talking about that in a lot of the press material. How it just how it really runs right up until episode four, and so. Uh, I, I would say that I didn't have well, and the other thing was I'd read uh, Catalyst, and oh, Catalyst okay. is the, that's the, prequel the prequel novel. Yeah, yeah, and and I enjoyed Catalyst a lot. So, but I wouldn't say it spoiled anything. I think it actually was an enricher and not a spoiler. Uh, I thought Catalyst was a was a fine novel for doing what it sought out to do, which was to kind of establish the relationship between Galen Erso and his family and Director Krennic. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. So to that I, end, I it. haven't read it, but I've heard a review. Uh, Jonathan Kreitz did a review on that, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, it's. But I'm not. I don't want to say I'm not fond of books that will explain a movie, but it just seems like it shouldn't really. You shouldn't have to have that. No, to, you shouldn't. No, and that's a that's a long standing argument of mine. I but I don't mind if the book supplements it. If, if, as long as the movie can stand on its own, fine, that's great. But if the book gives you kind of another dimension, I don't mind that. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But there are, well, again, you know, well, we, we might as well jump into this a little bit. One of my, or my biggest criticism of this movie was I was left with the impression, and I don't have any firm information on this, but I was left with the impression that this movie was going to be probably at 15 minutes to 20 minutes longer than it is. And that they did oh, some no. some trimming down of it. Um, oh, you mean originally? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And 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 that that trimming down, I think, hurt the movie early on, because, you know, I saw this and I kind of figured it going in, even though I didn't really have much. I saw it as a Magnificent Seven, Dirty Dozen type movie where these people are coming in there, and I knew going in these they're not all surviving this thing. I didn't know they yeah. were going to all die, but I figured, you know, only maybe one or two of them were going to survive. Yeah. And I expected a little bit more of a clear, we're assembling the team type beginning to this thing. And I don't think they really gave us that. And because no. they didn't, I think it made it hard to really grasp these characters and care about them as they did die. And the bad thing, from what I understand, and I haven't read the art of or anything like that, just had some conversations with people, is that some of the introductions, like Jen Urso's, were part of the reshoots. That the breaking, you know, breaking her out of that imperial vehicle and that kind of thing—that was part of the new stuff, mm-hmm. and and it was still inadequate. Um, I've got a friend who's a screenwriter, who actually makes his living as a screenwriter—not a great living, but he makes his living as a screenwriter. He gets a movie made about once a year, TV movie, uh, right? Did a Sci-Fi Channel for years, and now he's doing Hallmark Channel movies. Um, I'd like to see a mashup of the two of those, by the way, like a touching Christmas with the Tasmanian Devil or something, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> right, oh. wrong one. Uh, but uh, you know, and I was talking to him, and he said, "You know, 
here, here's the problem with introduction of characters. He said, Jen Urso wakes up in prison. That's the first time you see her, really, as an adult. She's in prison. And then they break her out of prison. And then they take her to Rebel Base and they read a laundry list of things she's been in prison for. But wouldn't it have been more interesting from a character dynamic perspective to show what she did to get put in prison? You know, it's that whole show don't tell mentality of storytelling. Yeah, I think you could have done that. You know, you wouldn't have to do necessarily a montage where you're showing all the things she did. No, no, no. But she you does could have had a scene. Whatever, yes. You whatever could have she a does scene right when she gets moment. arrested, basically. Yes, exactly. What she does at that moment to get arrested, how she deals with it, because resisting arrest was part of her charges. Uh, so yeah, I think I think you uh, introducing yeah, like, her, getting... like maybe she's doing like a Jean Valjean thing to where she's she's stealing something to give to somebody else to kind of develop her character, and then she gets yeah. arrested by the Empire, and you know it was it was a loaf of space bread, so and they break yeah. into song, <laughs> yeah, you know something something more revealing of character than she wakes up in prison and then they read a laundry list at her, uh, you know when we when we write commercials in radio. One of the things they always tell you is don't do lists. People don't like lists. Lists aren't interesting. And so to establish Jen Erso's character in this film, they read a list. Uh, yeah. and, and to me, read, list reading is always bad writing. And I, I, I think if you're going to read a list, you almost make that your tale. Uh, you know, at the at the end of it, you, you, you like in a commercial, you could talk about it with your products, whatever. And then you read the list and you kind of fade to black with the list because you know people aren't <laughs> listening to it anyway. Yeah. You mean like the side effects of drugs that are worse than the actual cure of what you're taking it for? I love, I love, the, I love the drugs like if you take an anti-seizure uh, medication and one of the side effects is it could cause seizures. Yes, yes, of course. Of course. Could cause blindness. <laughs> I just want my feet to not hurt. What, why is it going to make me blind? Well, your feet don't hurt. <laughs> but I can't see yeah, them. Yeah, I can't oh, see yeah. them either. <laughs> they still hurt, but I can't see where it hurts, so it's okay. <laughs> uh, so, well, let's let's yeah. stick with Jin for a moment. What did you think of her as a character, and what did you think of her as you know as cast in the movie? Uh, is this all coming at me? Is is Doctor Bill not part of this? <laughs> it's, it's, it's no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. She, well, okay. Um... I just want to switch gears. Judge the, the 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 two characters that I think have the most that 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 are developed the best for me are her father Galen, even though he's really not in the movie that much. But you get more of his his reasons for doing things, and kind of with Krennic, everybody else is just kind of eh. You know, it's very sketchy. Mm. Well. I wouldn't and Critic go... and Critic is one of the great characters to me. Uh, I, I, yeah, he's a middle management scumbag. Oh, yeah, who has no real. He's in the military, but he has no real military skills. So he's finding his way to climb the ladder a different way. On yeah, and he backs. tries to go. He tries to go to Vader to sneak up the corporate ladder, and Vader's yeah. like, "Get out of here." Yeah, Vader's like, get out of here, but when Vader leaves, Krennic's getting what he wants, and you see him, as he's coming out of his force choke, he kind of starts to grin. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is, again, that's good character work to me. Yeah, I agree with that. But I'm going to bring us back to, to Jin for now. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, throw, I'll throw my thoughts up first. I okay. kind of took her, both in casting and as written, as Ray Light. 
Hmm. I didn't think she was as appealing of an actress or of a character. Uh, she didn't have quite the same charisma. She didn't have the natural no. appeal to all of a sudden just link onto her so quickly. And that might be part of the way she was presented, you know, that that they could have, as you said, kind of developed her character a little better uh, to give you a little bit more of a foothold on her before you she was thrust into being your main character. Yeah. You know, it's well, funny you say that because we do see to where, you know, because in The Force Awakens, Ray had the, the rebel pilot doll. Mm-hmm. And here... Um, Jin had the the stormtrooper doll. Yep. So that's that's a pretty good comparison. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, you know, it's interesting because one of the early casting rumors I heard right before I mean right before they announced Felicity Jones, and I have to believe it was legit, uh, was they were talking about Tatiana Maslany for that part. And you'll, I wonder. You'll have to f- fill me in. I'm not sure if uh, she's she's uh, orphan black. Okay. Oh, okay. She plays every every one of those clones, and I have to I have to wonder if somebody who is, because she's just top notch, and she and she does action very well. She does she does everything well, and I have to wonder if they had brought somebody in like her, would we have had a little bit of a, a different impression of her and how she was played? Quite possibly. I I don't know if it's just acting choices though. Mm. You know, we said it. I I think the beginning was choppy when they were jumping from mm-hmm. planet to planet. And just throwing characters yeah. at you, which, which I do like, as you said. I like the aspect of show, don't tell. But you got to yeah. show me a little bit more. Don't just Well, they didn't show. That's know. the problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, the only people they really showed with were Baze and Chirrut. And who, who, they could have shown more. the two best more. characters, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I think they were the second and third best characters. Two most appealing but, uh, characters, if you ask me. I, I, I liked K2SO. I, oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. yeah. It was sad to me. I don't want to jump around here, but it was it was a little disappointing to me. And it was really part of the realization I had the second time I viewed it was that when everybody got killed, the only one that really upset me was when K2SO got killed. <laughs> yeah. He was the only one that I went, oh, man. Yeah, and, you know, and and just having seen uh, Serenity recently, <laughs> uh, it, it was like a du- double blow to me to have him die sitting in a chair again. <laughs> See, I've not seen it. In, oh. in Serenity, Alan Tudyk is one of the characters from the show Firefly. And uh, spoilers, everyone. Uh, his character dies very unexpectedly in the movie. Mm. And he's sitting mm-hmm. in a chair and this thing comes through and basically just goes right and through him, him and kills him. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think it was all in the acting, but I just I do wonder if a different actor could have brought a little more life to the character. Um, and, and, but it, I think it could have been better written. I mean, I really do, in, in a lot of respects. Um, and, and most of that is character introduction. Bodhi Rook... Uh, again, I, I just would like to have seen more character. And I still don't, I don't know, I didn't understand the interrogation scene that he had. With yeah, Bodhi wasn't Ruk. he supposed to, You're hmm? talking about the Imperial pilot, right? Yes. Yeah, and again, sadly, you know, this movie's been out in the wild for a while, and you guys are Star Wars people, and yet you're not real sure the character's names even. Well, no, I, I did get right. Bodhi for some reason quickly, and, and the thing about hmm. him that stuck with me is he is the main character uh, from the show uh, The Night Of, which was a, an eight-episode HBO series. And every time he was on screen, I kept saying, oh, it's Naz from The Night Of. He, <laughs> I, I never fully just got into him as a Star Wars mm. character. And that yeah. that's either a shortcoming of his acting or of how he was written. And I'm tempted to go more with the writing. Yeah, I don't think he was a bad actor at all, but I just think he was an underdeveloped character. Well, and, one of the things they did that didn't make any sense was this whole, the, you know, uh, four, 
he's going to be uh, Saw Guerrera comes out with the um, octopus um, torture machine or in interrogation machine, whatever. Orgulet. Yeah. Yeah. And it says, oh, it'll probably leave you insane. So I'm thinking, oh, well, this guy's going to be a nutcase for the rest of the movie. Ah, oh, but he got better. Like, what? Yeah. He kind of snapped out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, hey, he I feel much came better over now. And smacked him. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah. yeah uh, again, a little bit of inconsistency there. And just, uh, I, I don't know if Forrest Whitaker, if like he'd, like, did they really need him to play that part? Like well, I, what? I think his part was cut back. I think he had a bigger part, and they, they cut him back. And I think if they had left him in a more significant role, he probably would have been a good actor to have in it. Yeah, it's mm. odd to have an actor of his caliber in such a dinky part. Yeah. I think he was supposed to be kind of the anti-Ben Kenobi, mm. you know, from A New Hope. Uh, and I don't think they gave him that chance. I think they, they just, again, I think they just said, yeah, this is it. He's a badass. He's, you know, he's he's too extreme, and that's it. Just just accept that, and let's move on. Mm. Or was it try to just, like a fan nod to Clone Wars, because his character was in the Clone Wars series? Yeah, I don't think you go out of your way to go get, you know, uh, I don't think you go out of your way to get an Oscar winner like him if you're just tr- doing a nod to the Clone Wars. I mean, you could CGI mm. a nod to the Clone Wars. Um I think I think he was supposed to be a more relevant character in there, and it, it, I think Paul's right on that. I think that just that was probably one of those changes that they made where they scaled it back and uh, probably reshot a lot. Speaking of reshoots, should we bring up the the, the things that were in the trailer or that yeah. we're just uh, big one? She's running on the beach with the tapes. Never made it mm-hmm. to a beach with a tape. Nope. There's a Tie Fighter that looms up over her on the on the catwalk. Mm, wasn't in the uh, thing, was it? I don't remember no. seeing it. And you know what I heard about that? I heard about that was that it was that was nothing more than uh, like an experimental shot just to see you know something they did in development that was never even intended to be a part of the movie. Which well, I, why I put it in the really trailer? Don't like when they I don't do know. That. I don't, I don't like know. When, they, when they film things for the trailer. That they don't mm. ever intend to put on. I, I, I'm more. I mean, I guess this. it's kind of good in that it gets you excited, and then, you know, you're, you know, because sometimes they have trailers that give away the entire movie. Yes. Well, I, so I think, of, I think it's, of, it's like, you know, if you're filming that. something just for the trailer, then I can think of one situation where I thought they did that, where it was re- where it really worked, and that was the trailer for Terminator Two, and if you saw the teaser trailer for that. They show a, a production line of the T. Oh yeah, T one thousand was T two hundred, whatever the Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator was. They show a production line for that, and they show that the metal bodies, you know, on the line, and then it goes into a chamber where, you know, you see smoke coming out, and the door opens, and it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he says something like, "I'm back." And clearly yeah. <laughs> that was never intended to be in the movie. When you watched it, you knew that wasn't going to be in the movie, but that was fine because that was what you were given. Yes. I don't like when they film something and they say to you, yeah, this is going to be in the movie, and then it's not. Yeah. <coughs> I, I can forgive it a little bit when, it's, you know, when the people making the trailer don't realize it's getting cut, but I can't forgive it mm. so much when they film it specifically for the trailer. Yeah, because there's that whole you know, Baywatch scene where they're on the beach, although not in bathing suits, and they're all running, running, you know, with the tape, and there's the explosions going off, and that 
she was never there no. at all. But I, I tend to think that probably was something from the before the reshoots. Mm. I tend to think that was probably I think I think the climax took a really different shape after those reshoots. And I think that's probably one of the big reasons that I applaud the reshoots, because I thought the last half hour of this film was about as good as anything they've ever put on film. Yeah, and I think that's I mean, pretty much the consensus <clears throat> opinion that everybody thought, you know, the half an hour, the last half an hour ramped it up, and that everybody pretty much enjoyed that. So yeah. most of the criticism is to build up to the half an to that to that half an hour. Yeah. Uh, some people I've heard <laughs> some criticism of, uh, I forget what the guy's name is, uh, the guy with walrus uh, with, with walrus dude. Oh, Pandya uh, Baba. Yeah, Doctor Evazan. People have criticized that because, oh, you know, how you know it's too small of a world that they're going to bump into each other. But that brought a smile to my face. I have no problem yeah, with that at all. Yeah, I did too. When it happened, then later I started going, well, if this movie ends where it ends, did these guys immediately jump on a ship and fly over to Tatooine? Yeah, that's what I got. I got to figure they're walking Sapping to their it. ship as, as they bump yeah. into each other. Yeah, that's. but when it first happened, I was like, oh, that's cute. So I had no major issues with that. You know, I, I think I would have been a little bit more annoyed if they ran into Greedo. Ha! <laughs> and I'm, yeah, I'm glad they didn't even try first. and throw in like a young Han Solo spotting him or something like that. Like they could have. Well, they could really be young. Him. I mean, well, you know, they'd already cast him by the time they'd done the reshoot, so maybe they could have. And well, yeah, no, no. I mean, wrong. this is only again, this is yeah, only five true. minutes well, before. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. You would be able to do that. You'd have yeah. to have him like, uh, like way like back Fisher. when she was a kid. Yeah, him. Yeah. But I'm glad they didn't do that. I, I think that yes. would have that would have been taking us out of the movie too much. Uh, you know, I thought all the little you know the little Easter eggs. I don't think any of them bothered me that I saw. I didn't think any of them took me out of the movie, and I don't think any of them were of a sort where if this was your first experience with Star Wars, where you'd say, "Oh, I don't get what's going on." You know, I don't think yeah. any of them did that. No, you when when Red Leader and Gold Leader come up, they're just part of the story. But yeah. those of us who who know and love that first film, know it backwards and forwards and by heart, when mm -hmm. uh, Gold Leader and Red Leader showed up, I will tell you, I stood up. Because <laughs> no, I was. And just, somebody was said, "Sit down, sit down." Yeah. <laughs> right. That was old footage. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. like a Unused alternate takes. take. Yeah. So that that's yeah that's great. Let's 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 attack wow, the well, CGI gorilla in the room. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why did Red Five have to be a fat guy? I mean, we knew he was gonna have to die, but I'm like, hey, hey, why was he? Why was he a chubby guy? Hey, us fat guys got to get our own time on the screen That's too. That's true. Let's, yes. let's yeah. you know. Now, okay, so going into the CGI, there was a scene right before the CGI. You've got the you've got the uh, you've got the star destroyers that are floating around out by the Death Star. And um, but you know you don't fully see the Death Star yet. You've got the one that's in shadow, and then it comes out of the shadow because the dish is in front of it. Right. I that scene to me for some reason and I'm I'm not in a top of the line theater where I'm going to see that, but that scene when they showed that star destroyer to me it took me totally out of the movie because I'm like, wow, that really looks like a model. Okay, I know it's a model, all right? But it just really did not look realistic. So in the back of my head I'm like, wow, that just looks like a plastic why does that look so bad? Oh my God, <laughs> Grandma Tarkin! What the? <laughs> Did he get a promotion somewhere in between the two movies? Because he's he was Governor Tarkin in this. 
Well, they called him Governor Tarkin in the. I don't think they ever called him Grand Moff Tarkin in oh, episode no? four. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I think they called him Governor Tarkin the, throughout the entire film. I think Grand Moff is what, something that showed up in the promotional materials and that kind of thing. I, I want to uh, see a Grand Moff. So, <laughs> yeah, who who doesn't? So but I, I, I wouldn't now, mind being we'll, a we'll, mediocre Moff. <laughs> mediocre Moff. <laughs> we'll keep the two uh, the two CGI characters separate. What did you think okay. of Tarkin? I uh, turned to Ben. And I'm like, that guy's dead. <laughs> right in the theater. That guy's dead. And I'm like, wow. Holy crap. Now, upon closer examination, it might be a little off. But still, I didn't think it was bad. I think they could have maybe made it look not as off if they had done him in reflection like like the way he started because I did not I fully did not expect him to turn around and face the screen and start talking. No, I didn't so either. If they had done him over like a hologram, you know, with the blue with the distortion, I think it would have been sold even better or but I, I don't know. It's I enjoyed it but it's still it's still got a little bit of ways to go. Yeah. I'm gonna, uh, I'm going to disagree slightly because I you know, I saw what you're talking about, and I've heard the people say, you know, has the look of almost a video game, which I didn't really think that. Now, again, I've only seen it once, but I did see it on an IMAX screen, so he was there, you know, really in, in my face. Uh, and I think if I didn't already know the history of, you know, the, the situation and that he was dead and that this was 40 years ago, I don't know that he would have stood out at me to me as looking off. I think I would have just accepted him as is. The only reason I think I noticed anything at all that was off was because I am aware that, that he's not around anymore and that he couldn't have filmed these scenes. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm going to disagree with you, disagreeing with Bill. Okay, I thought you um, as Wait, as, so that means you're agreeing with me. Yes. Well, yes! I'm going to disagree as, with both of you. <laughs> as I noted on my video that you mentioned earlier, uh... Which, by the way, earned me a lengthy text message from my brother advising me to not drive and Facebook uh, because there's cyclists on the road that I could kill. Um, the same brother who, every time he has a bad checkup at the doctor, sends me an email telling me I need to get uh, change my life. Um, I felt like this Tarkin thing was a stand-up double. I didn't think it was a home run. Um... I thought the way he moved was a little too swivel on a stick. There, there's a there's a certain thing that living people do, and it's it's these little micro movements that people have that you don't notice until they're gone, as Cinderella might say. And um, <laughs> I I saw a lot of that in Tarkin. You know, the, these you know you continually kind of weave and you bob a little, and you make little position shifts to you know, to balance yourself and your head kind of moves a little and, and none of that was there on him. And it, and it kind of announced itself to me. Um, and when he moved, he kind of looked like he was on a swivel stick, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, that having been said, and my feeling like he was a stand up double and not a home run, I'm glad they did it. And I'm glad they did it for a couple of reasons. One is that one of my big concerns when Disney took over Star Wars was that everything they were going to do was going to be fan service, fan service, fan service, fan service. And I think the prequels proved that the fans guiding Star Wars are not actually going to take Star Wars where Star Wars would go naturally. 
uh, you know, George Lucas's vision for the prequels was very different from most fans' vision of the prequels, but I'm glad he made the movies he made. Um, and, and so I was worried that they would... One of the things that Lucas always did was move the medium forward, no matter what. You know, he changed film with just about every one of these movies, uh, whether it was the, 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 you know, the motion control cameras of the episode four, whether it was introducing go motion to the world in a big scale in episode six, uh, making digital a thing that was going to have to be reckoned with in episode two. Remember, they shot episode two entirely in digital and the film community. And I remember reading the articles at the time. Film community was laughing at him because they were because he kept saying, well, the way you should be exhibiting this is in digital and theaters are going, oh, we're never going to do that. That's ridiculous, George Lucas. That's never going to happen. And all of a sudden, and and it starts with episode two. And again, most maligned of all the prequels. But episode two changed theater. It changed cinema. Um, so, it, it, you know, Lucas was an innovator. Regardless of whatever you want to think about prequels or anything he did with the original trilogy, uh, he was always doing something that moved the medium forward. And I was fearful that they were just going to sit on their laurels and kind of follow the leader and just do fan service every film. But this was a risk. This was taking a chance, and this was doing something nobody's really ever done before in, a, in this scale. And it is the future. The other thing I liked about it was that it was, it was Lucas. Lucas talked about this 15 years ago. He talked about the fact that, you know, one day you'll go see a new Humphrey Bogart movie, and Humphrey Bogart will be totally CGI. We will resurrect the stars of yesteryear. You know, that was a big, big thing with him. He believed in that. So when they when they do two things, one, move the medium forward, and two, really draw from George Lucas's uh, thoughts and ideas and inspirations, it, it's, it's really impactful to me because that's why I love Star Wars. One of the reasons why I love Star Wars, so, is because of what George Lucas brought to it. Uh, it was one of the things that I left. I remember when episode seven came out and I walked out of the theater. My immediate thought was, I wonder what George would have done with this. You know, it, it, it cause he, his absence was very much there in episode seven. Um, so I, I appreciate that they did it. I didn't think it was a complete slam dunk home run, but I don't care. They did something that's going to move the medium forward and five or 10 years from now, we're going to look back on this film and go, Boy, that looked like crap. Can you believe what they're doing with dead actors now? Because mm -hmm. yeah, this is the future. We disagree, but we don't disagree by as much as it sounds like. Mm. Because I'm not saying this is a home run. I'm just saying it yeah. worked. That no, it, 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 it did. It worked. No, it worked. Uh, it didn't fool me is the difference, I guess. Well, and, mm. But that's, that's what I'm trying to do is, is I'm trying to pull myself from it because it's impossible to know. Mm. You know, if you know, it's impossible to remove that knowledge from my brain. So I'm sitting here and I'm asking myself, if I didn't already know the history, would this stand out to me? Mm -hmm. And it might have just seemed slightly off, but I don't think I would have said, you know, I don't even think I would have stopped to say something's wrong here. Mm. I think I would have just accepted it and moved on. And, and I have talked to straights <laughs> who, uh, um, of both persuasions. Just, you know, just, for, who are just not for the Star record, Wars that has nothing geeks. to do with Scott's sexual preference. No. It's just, it means non-Star Wars geeks. Non-Star Wars geeks. Mm -hmm. uh, and some who didn't even notice it, had no idea it had happened. It passed right by them, and they didn't even flinch. And others who went, what was up with that guy? He seemed kind of weird. Um, well, he is nobody. Weird. He was weird well, he was alive. <laughs> <laughs> and why was he wearing bedroom slippers? I don't understand. <laughs> so, but... Um, you know, I, I got a 
of both of those reactions, but from nobody did I get, boy, they shouldn't have done that. That could remo- totally remove me from the film. But I was like you, Bill. I When I saw his face reflected in the glass, I thought, well, there's your Tarkin appearance. That's pretty good. And then he wheeled around, and I went, holy crap. They're actually <laughs> doing this. What the? Yeah. <laughs> ben, he's dead. I, and I, I was, overall, I was happy that they did do it. I thought it, it, yeah. it lent itself more to the texture of Star Wars instead of making it feel that this was kind of a movie that was removed from the universe. I didn't well, want it to be smack in the, in the middle of the saga or as part yeah. of the saga. I wanted it to well, be a side story, but I did want it to have a connection, and it did, and that and, helped and it, it to have it. And in all honesty, had they, had they not had him anywhere near this film or just shown him from behind, it would have been kind of... Uh, would have been kind of playing ninety, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I. Oh I, yeah. yeah, yeah. With with uh, yeah, Bella Lugosi putting Bella his hand over his face, yeah. and yeah, it just. Um, <laughs> I think it would have stood out more. Yeah, to me. I think so too. And so uh, the fact that they did it and they made him an integral, living, breathing part of the film, I thought was terrific. Again, wasn't perfect, uh, and that, but that's okay. You know, when I criticize it, understand, I'm not telling I'm not telling you it's a bad element of the film. I'm just telling you it's not there yet. But again, I'm glad they did it because they they it really is something that is going to be impactful on the future of film. Part, and, part of what I like about you know, this is that they're not there yet, because I'm, I am a little concerned about what they're going to do when they can do more. Why? Because I don't want them to make a Humphrey Bogart movie without Humphrey Bogart. Well, if Humphrey Bogart's estate wants them to make a Humphrey Bogart movie, then... You know, doesn't really matter. I know, and and I am I, usually one who will say if they're doing something you don't like, nobody makes you watch it. Yeah. So I should kind of put my money where my mouth is there. But like to me, Humphrey Bogart, and we're using him as the example. Humphrey Bogart, John Wayne, well, one of those guys. I, those guys are revered by me. Yeah, well, I'm using him as the example because that was George Lucas's example usually. Right. So yeah, John, I, I just John I don't Wayne was see used... them cheapened somehow and that's where i'm afraid it would it could become but but i don't think they will be and i think that's the important part i don't think you'll see them you know as comic relief showing up somewhere you know for i think i think you know and it's going to be up to the estates of these people it's going to be up to their estates to really manage and maintain their image and how they're used in these films uh as long as they retain control um I think you're going to see quality products made with these these people. I, I think this is going to be a good thing. Well, back in the 80s and 90s, wasn't John Wayne and I think James Cagney in like a Coke commercial? Yeah. Oh, but that, that oh yeah, that did not look real. No, no. Now I know the technology is advanced more. That was, you almost watched that, watch that knowing it was a gimmick. Yeah. That was a Forrest Gump technology thing there. Yeah, and there, there was there was an element of that because you knew it was a gimmick that you didn't take it seriously. So now if they decide, you know, we're going to make a new Sam Spade movie and we're going to have somebody mocap it and then we're going to put Humphrey Bogart's face on him for an hour and 45 minutes of movie. And if the technology's right, I find that fascinating. I find it fascinating from a technological point of view. I don't know if I find it fascinating as a movie lover. Mm. I'm not sure. Just as long as I try to keep an open mind. I do because I think it opens up the playing field. It opens up the possibilities. Uh, it, you know, it, there's a lot of times when you say, "Oh, gee whiz, you know, we lost Robin Williams. All the things we could have had. Well, now we can have them." Uh, you know, but it's we not lost... a true performance by that actor, though. Well, it's not necessarily no, but if it's based on or inspired by, you 
you don't know. You know, the the bad one's going to be trying to figure out what to do when Johnny Depp dies because, you know, <laughs> you mocap, you can just pretty much put a bush out there. And, well, it's Johnny Depp. He's immersed himself in a new role. <laughs> <laughs> you could do that anyway. You could just have any actor yeah. play any part and just say, yeah, that's mocap for Johnny Depp. That's we didn't Depp. have to change yeah. anything. No, he just buried himself in the part. Don't worry about it. Um, but no, you're, you're right. It's not going to be an artistic expansion of their oeuvre. But it's going to be, it's going to be something that'll be good. I think for people, it'll be good for creators. I don't think it'll be. Again, it's going to be up to the estates of these actors as to whether it's misused or abused. And if they decide to whore it out, sorry, uh, if there's a language uh, whore is an law here, word. okay. If they decide to whore it out, then yeah, you're except gonna in Brooklyn, junk. it's hua. hua. If you decide to hua it out, I should have known that from all the old dice tapes we used to have. Um, if you decided... needed to be hugged. <laughs> got the bonus plan, baby. <laughs> oh. So anyway, um, it's uh, <laughs> if, if the Saints decide to whore these things out, then yes, you're going to see some crap product. But if these estates really decide to maintain the integrity of their loved one, and I hope they do, uh, I think you're going to see some real magic. I think you're going to see some neat creations. And you're going to see people put together... In situations, you're going to see Harrison Ford and Humphrey Bogart in a buddy cop movie. Okay, now taking this discussion and going the next step, well, just let's discuss the next CGI that was in the movie, mm. at, or, or the uh, the other elephant the, in the room. The I suspect I may disagree with you on this one too. I don't remember what you said about it in your road review, but I do remember you mentioned it. Uh, uh, further proof that we're not there yet. In okay, fact, so then we maybe we are agreeing then. <laughs> that we're not there yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that one that one was was really revelatory of the fact that yeah we are not there yet. Uh, Tarkin, see, they got to deal with Tarkin in a lot of darkness and shadows, and that always helps with CGI that's not there yet. Uh, yeah, because he was in a dark room and everything. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't as well lit, and then nope. we see Leia in a white ship in a white gown yeah. in a well lit room. Yep, bam. And- it does not hold up at all. Uh, it, it, it was a cute reveal, but boy, I, that's when everybody walked out going, oh, that was fake. That's nice. It Nobody was, hated it. <laughs> it was okay with me because it was so brief. Yeah. But it did not look right. And, no. and that would have stood out to me whether I knew it was CGI or not. Yeah. I, I thought I thought the Tarkin worked. I, I thought she didn't. But again... Because it was so brief, it kind of brought a smile to my face anyway. Yeah. And that was mm-hmm. before she passed away. And again, I, I was glad they did it. Um, but, yeah, that when you talk about Elephant in the Room and you talk about Estates, now let's talk Episode 9. Yeah, because she already had finished 8 and 9. I guess there was uh, they had extensive plot lines that they wanted to use her in. That's what yep, I heard. That, That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. So do you CGI her? Do you write her out mm. between movies? Certainly Star Wars, you don't write her out between movies. That's just not what we do. We don't we don't Tom Hagen these guys. Right? Yeah, I don't expect that, but I could see where they might severely decrease her role in the movie. Yeah. And then kind of you know, get it done with very, very little screen time. And they're gonna have her played by George Hamilton. So <laughs> you know, it could go either way, really. Crisp, yes. <laughs> you know, Bill and I touched on, uh, and we did an episode of Bins where we talked. We, you know, right? It was the day she passed away, mm. so we touched on our thoughts about it then. 
but I don't know if you've recorded anything since she passed away. You know, it's funny. She passed away as, you know, one of the things that we have done, uh, Steve Glosson of Geek Out Loud and every one of those 8,000 podcasts that he does, and I don't know how he does it, uh, and Shaz Bazaar of Techno Retro Dads got together one day and recorded a commentary track for the film. I did and, see that on my feed. I haven't listened to it yet. And that, well, <laughs> I understand you're in rife and blackout. And uh, <laughs> we did touch on it a bit because it literally was was that day. In fact, Shaz Bazaar was driving. Shaz Bazaar, let me tell you what kind of a trooper this guy is and what kind of a creative nut he is. He drove from his home in Alabama to my home here so we could watch this film and record a commentary and then drove back home to Alabama. Wow, that's whoa! We're at in Alabama. That's a uh, long stretch across across yeah, Georgia. Dothan. So it was about four and a half hours. Mm. And he drove here, watched the movie, and took off. But as he was, uh, as he was driving, he sends us all a, a group text. Hey, I haven't heard anything about Carrie Fisher today. How is she? And so I just sit back dead because the word oh. had just come through. Uh, so we we did a few minutes of it there at the end. And and, I, and I'll tell you, I I'm just not somebody. I can name one celebrity whose death really profoundly affected me. One. Uh, and that's Jim Henson. And again, that comes from the what will we not get over the next several decades that we would have gotten. Um, you know, I, I feel bad about it. But it, it didn't rock my world to the core like a lot of people, like a lot of fans, because I just don't get personally wrapped up in these celebrities. I, I've met so many of them over the years, so many celebrities over the years that... I know they're just people, and I know that they're not thinking about me. So I don't, I don't really think about them outside of you know what I see them in. You know, I, I said to Bill that, uh, I'm, you know, I can't say I was a Carrie Fisher fanboy. You mm. know, I, I thought she was great as Princess Leia. I never, you know, had any negative thing in her performance at all, and I no, always found no. her to be uh, somebody who I thought, considering her background, considering her par- who her parents were. You know, somebody whose who's, who's parents are broken up by Liz Taylor. I mean, you know, there's a lot going on there. Well, um, you know, no, my parents were also broken up by Liz Taylor. I don't know if you knew that or not. But. <laughs> oh, yours too? Wow. Yeah. But, but when, when you consider her background and you consider the fact that she had this these drug problems, these alcohol problems, bipolar, uh, I think it's pretty amazing that she seemed as accessible and just seemed to be like a, a generally likable person throughout her whole life. And I found yeah. her passing to be very melancholy. It didn't affect me on a deep personal level, but it. Yeah. But but I, I thought I, it, was it sad. really did. I found it just sad. I did too. I found it sad, and I found it sad for a couple of reasons. One that you know she's in the middle of a making a trilogy, and damn it, where's my Star Wars? You hate to say that, but it's true. Uh, I found it sad because she was a very creative individual. I mean, a lot of people didn't. It's it's now kind of becoming talked about, but you know, as a as a film geek for years, I knew. She was one of Hollywood's top script doctors. You know, when they had a script that was in trouble, they would call in Carrie Fisher. She doesn't get a credit for it, but she just goes in and kind of modifies the scripts and fix them so that uh, they work better. And that was that was what she did. Of course, she wrote books that sold, you know, millions of copies. And uh, so, and she was she was always an engaging performer, even when she was going through the things she was going through. She was clever. She was witty. She was smart, and uh, in, in all honesty, one of the things that really brought to light, or was really brought to light for me when they started the uh, episode seven production, was just how 
I always felt bad at just how how much less she was now than she had been, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, I was actually around the time of her her passing. I had actually been listening to the audiobook version of her new book, and uh, it was painful to listen to before she passed because her voice was so ravaged by everything she had done to herself over the years. Yeah, you know. I would tell my wife, I'd go, I can't listen to this for long stretches at a time because her voice is just horrible. Uh, in fact, you know, they uh, they did use a voice double for her in The Force Awakens. I did not know uh, that. Yeah, hmm. well, and not a lot of people did until the lady who did it started doing interviews saying, yeah, I was I was Carrie Fisher in The Force Awakens. Um, but yeah, her voice is just, it, it was so ravaged and so awful and so terrible. And, and again, just, she had so much, but, but at the same time, you know, I wasn't horribly sad for her either because look what she did in 60 years. I mean, it, look what she accomplished. Look what, you know, look what she was a part of. Look what she created. Uh, and on that front, she did more in 60 years. than if I, if I get 90 or 100, I ain't going to get that much done. Yeah, you know, she, I guess, you know, she lived lived... A very exciting, interesting life. I don't even want to say she had a great life because she did go through all of those things. But it, you know, she like went I through said, a lot of difficulties. But past, uh, sad. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And and you know, you 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 wish more happiness. And then the fact that her mom died the next day is just like mind blowing. Yeah, and and I'll be watching to you know today when we're recording this is the day they're going to debut that documentary on HBO about the two of them that had been you know making the film festival route. Uh, for the last several months, and HBO had, I guess they were going to debut it next month, and they decided with all of this happening, they'd move it up. Uh, and so I'll be watching it. I, I'm interested in seeing it. I want to, I want to get a good look at these two right th- at the end there. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be interested to see that as well. Uh, just I don't, I don't want to get bogged down too much because I want to kind of move the show at a little bit more of a brisk pace yeah. than that. Uh, what did you guys think of Darth Vader in this one? Hmm. Um. It was nice that they put the red eye lenses in. It was a nice touch with, with the detail. But when they first showed them, I don't know if um, it took me a while to pinpoint what was off with Vader's costume. And because when he comes out and he talks to Krennic, I'm just watching it going, something is not right here. Something looks weird. And I figured it out later by looking at some other scenes it's that his his and this is nitpicky nerdy crap so excuse me his cape was not over his neck piece on his like it was underneath the helmet it's almost like he just like he you know oh you 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 got me out of the back to tank too early and I didn't have time to get dressed properly well, I, I think I, I think though that is episode 4 Vader um no, because I well, all right, maybe may. you know one of the things that when they were first showing photos of him, it, it looked like the helmet was too big for for the body. It just looked hmm. off for some reason. That's interesting. It, but it was nice with the red lenses. Um, it was a really good fan moment when he goes berserkowitz and takes out all the rebels <laughs> in the hallway. But on another nitpicky nerd thing is like, is you know maybe that really. He was really tired and spent from that, which is why he doesn't really do much in episode four. <laughs> yeah, they just pulled him out of the back to tank for crying out loud. He used it all up in that in that raid uh, <laughs> where he thought, OK, this is the finale. I'll get everybody and we'll get those tapes. Oh, crap. They got away. 
And he doesn't have a back to tank on the Death Star yet, unfortunately. That was bad mm-hmm. planning. Um, Where is my back to tank? Not a salt yet, sir. Um, I I like Vader in this movie, and I, I I thought he looked very Episode Four. In fact, the the publicity photos they were putting out early on of him didn't look as Episode Four as they should have. And I think they went back and CGI. I think they realized because they were like his robes uh, when they first started putting photos out his whole chest piece was exposed like it was an empire and jedi uh you know right right below his his uh, right on his shoulders and uh i think they went back and cgi'd some robes over that because the robes were supposed to go over that um in, in episode four so you know i thought they did a good job of trying to bring episode four his walk was not exactly a vader walk i don't know what kind of walk it was but it wasn't a vader strideful with purpose walk he kind of had a little too much swishy hippie thing going on um, James Earl Jones, I thought, sounded better on this than he sounded in Rebels. Uh, I was a little worried about that. He had one or two sentences where he sounded like he was a little out of breath. But overall, I think he sounded pretty good. Uh, I've got other friends who disagree with me, think they should just ditch him and go get a sound alike. Uh, I say you hold on to James Earl Jones as long as you possibly can. Absolutely. Um, his scene at the end with the Rebels... I will tell you, the second viewing I had was with about 300 eighth graders. And when that saber lit up, from the moment that saber lit up to the moment the Tandem V4 breaks free, they went berserk. And they were a little restless throughout the film. But when that happened, they went nuts. <laughs> so, you know, uh, obviously that was a real cloud, cloud, pre- cloud preaser. Yes. Cloud preaser? A cloud preaser. A cloud preaser, yes. So, well, I think you uh, know, it just showed, and and it is, I guess, there is a little bit of the cloud, the cloud preasing element of it, <laughs> uh, but it showed just you know what a badass he was, because we didn't see that in episode four because the special effects didn't lend themselves to that, and Alec Guinness no no really, he was tired he was tired yeah, yeah. Alec Guinness couldn't couldn't keep up that kind of pace and they didn't you know they He's just tired. didn't have the ability to film the scene back in in the nineteen seventies to show what you can now. No. So if you showed him moving as slowly as he did in that duel now, I think people would look at it and say, what the hell is going on here? Whereas <laughs> it's perfectly acceptable watching the original film. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I think the inclusion of the back-to-tank scene early on, mm-hmm. I think that did give us a little wiggle room to say, well, you know, he's been in back-to and he's, he's feeling pretty good and now he's weakened. Because he mm-hmm. thought, you know, again, he, he spent everything trying to get rid of, trying to get rid of those tapes, and then all of a sudden, eh, tapes aren't gotten rid of yet, and he can't go back to Mustafar to recharge his batteries. So, I mean, it's it's as good an excuse as anything else. Well, I I do like the way they worked this in, and I thought virtually seamlessly as far as the story went. So many things. I mean, one of the things that that was such a big joke. You know, in the last few years, is why would you build a Death Star with this one weakness? <laughs> and and you know, now we've explained that away with with a legitimate. That reason. That was done of on course, purpose. That was that was like back in your face, like shut up, yeah, just shut up about that. We're sick well, of hearing it. You know, it, I'm kind of of two minds of that. I don't mind that they did it, but I always got frustrated when the people who would stand up and mock it for that that why would you build a Death Star with this weakness? Well, what was that weakness really? They had to have an exhaust port. They had to let air out, especially of a reactor, and the thing was only six feet wide, and it was protected by all these guns, 
And so you couldn't do a large-scale assault, as I said in the first film. You had to hit it with a fighter, and you hit it with proton torpedoes. And Gold Leader and Red Leader, you know, these guys are the best. And they couldn't do it. It only took Luke Skywalker using the Force to hit that target. So I don't think it was that big of a, of a blunder to start with. Well, then, then you, you can attack it from the other side and say, if that's the case, then why didn't Urso build something that was a, just a touch more accessible for them to try and destroy it? Because that's really, you know, it's like, oh, I gave you this out. Really? Really? You expect me to hit that thing? Who are you kidding? Well, yeah, well you know what? There's probably tons of other people going over those plans. You can't make it too obvious. No. Well, but also, but also remember, he didn't say, I put an exhaust port here. What he said was, I've weakened it. The, what I've weakened is if you, get, if you get to the reactor, the whole thing goes up. Mm. So he didn't really say, this port is how you get to the reactor. I think they analyzed it and thought the best way to get to the reactor is this port. But it doesn't mean that that port was actually the way he put in to get to the reactor, necessarily. I mean, they could have sneaked people on board and had them blow up the reactor from within. No, I saw it as... Uh, I thought he should have built there. a big red button that said destruct. <laughs> <laughs> or reset, or overcharge, or whatever, yeah. But, you know, overall, let's, let's, let's just pull back a little bit, because we were getting into a lot of specifics. Okay. Uh, yeah. Normally, when we do a roundtable, which this isn't really that, but when we do a roundtable, we open it up with the, let's give me, you know, give me a couple of minutes of what are your overall thoughts about this movie, and I don't mm. think any of us have really done that. So pulling back and taking the movie at a whole, what you think? Not giving your is it yours rating just yet, but just you know, mm. what did you think? I guess. Uh, oh. Um, I I enjoyed the movie. I had no, I mean, it's only in hindsight that I've come up with some nitpicks, but in the moment of the movie, I, I enjoyed it. Um, in, I guess I'll leave it at that. Cause I'll, when I do the rating, I'm going to change, I'm going to go with a little bit more detail on something. Okay. Hmm. That's fine. Um, Glosson has been going at me on this ever since I first said it, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, the movie is too dark. It, and I don't mean that thematically. I mean, the cinematography the is too dark in that film. Mm. Uh, yeah, it needs to be brighter. You need to be actually be able to see everything clearly instead of see every single thing in shadows. Um, I, I think they, they needed a, a brighter set. They need a brighter shoot. Uh, I think they needed more script work. I am thankful that they made the reshoots they made because I do think that they probably made that a better film. I hope we find out one day how much better of a film they made. Uh, I'm thankful they brought Michael Giacchino in because I thought his score was very evocative of Williams while plainly not quite Williams. Um, I, I, there was a lot to like about the film, but I think uh, the darkness of the cinematography combined with the slow-moving elements of the early going and, and a lot of the scenes where they just stood around and talked. And there were a lot of scenes where they just stood around and talked. Uh, made it a little bit of a slog to get to the really good stuff at the end. Um, you know, to me, the best two characters you feature in that film are Orson Krennic and K2SO, and it shouldn't have been that way. Uh, it, it, there should have been more interesting and good characters because, after all, they used diversity in casting. They just didn't use diversity in good writing for them. Uh, the last half hour, however, about as good as anything you're going to see in a Star Wars movie or anywhere else, for that matter. Now, my, my take as I walked out of the movie, and again, like I said, I didn't see it under ideal circumstances because I was pretty tired. I did stay awake. 
but I was pretty tired. <laughs> you got one on me then. Um, but I thought, again, because of what I considered to be some choppy editing or some uh, some deficiencies in the script writing, I thought that I needed to see this a second time to appreciate it. I thought seeing it a second time, knowing who the characters are, I might be a little bit more invested in them and I might enjoy the film more. So that, that still has to be tested, that theory, because I haven't seen it the second time yet. But my son, who had seen it two days before we went together and then saw it again when we all went together, uh, seemed to confirm that theory because he said in the second viewing he enjoyed it a lot more because he kind of knew what was going on better. So I well, don't know, you know that's everybody's I, experience, but it certainly was I will, mine. I will tell you that my experience, and I've seen it four times now, uh, I have enjoyed it more with each successive viewing. And in fact, the last time we did this, uh, you know, I told you I, I did fall asleep again, but I fell asleep in the third act this time. So, really? So when it got yeah. to its most exciting, you fell asleep? Yeah, when it got to the good stuff, I fell asleep this time around, yeah. I, I so, think you know, I, I to some extent, I think you though. have a built-in excuse with your schedule. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, and I don't think I've seen this. I don't think we've seen a screening that started before ten o'clock yet. So, yeah. Well, there you go, right there. Yeah, because you 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 practically work nights. Uh, I work I work weirdness. I mean, I have to be there at five in the morning, but I get up at three thirty. So, um, you know, and you would think then five to noon, to one, to maybe two with an hour lunch. I'm out at two o'clock. No, I'm not out at two o'clock. I wish I were out at two o'clock. But uh, anyway, yeah, I would I would say it does get better with each viewing and the more you know about them. And, and sometimes you do have to go to other sources and find out things about them, which I don't, you know, I'm not necessarily the biggest proponent of, but the, I think the more you find out about them, the more enjoyable the experience is about the film uh, as far as the film goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to just run down the characters kind of quickly and give just some quick thoughts as to what I thought about them. And you, you just jump in anytime you want to throw a comment on this. And I'm, I'm yeah. going down the cast list as they're listed in Wikipedia. And the first person they mention is Jin Erso, who I, I kind of already said. I saw her as Ray Light. Uh, mm-hmm. And I thought she could have been developed better. I thought she could have been focused yeah. on better. And I, again, I, I don't know if it's a deficiency in the actress or not. I'm not sure, but she certainly didn't have that I'm going to command the screen and you're going to like me instantly persona. Nope. Uh, no. Cassian Andor, I thought he was serviceable, but kind of almost generic. He was a cipher. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah. think there was much to him. They tried to give him that little interesting backstory where he blows the guy away from behind. <laughs> uh, but Well, and, and, and that kind of plays into later at the end when he says, you know, I... I've done things, we've done things in, in service of the rebellion that we're not happy, blah, blah, blah. Right. So. Yeah. Next on the list is Orson Krennic, and I agree with you, too. I think he was one of the most interesting characters in there. Uh, I th- and I think, I don't know if, I'm not 100% sure if he's, he's going to age well, only because well, part of his resonance to me is because he's typical of a middle corporate guy in current day. And I just wonder if that's going to lose some of its resonance as time goes well, on, if things change. It, uh, they'll, they'll be a-holes for the rest of time. So. <laughs> He's got a point there. You know, it's funny, though, you say you don't know if he'll age well. I couldn't tell what what aging he was doing in the film. Oh, from the you first know, the, scene to later? Like, Yeah, like in the beginning of the film, he looks much older than he does later in the film, which is supposed to be 15 years later. And then some scenes he looks mm. really young, some scenes he looks really old. I couldn't figure... 
I had to look up his age. I found out he's like he's like a year older than I am. That made me feel even worse because there are some scenes where I went, oh, yeah, the old guy, which also, <laughs> by the way. Well, want... It makes you feel better. He's younger than me. Well, <laughs> well that's what I was going to say is, you know, you want a, a thought. You didn't listen to the other podcasts I've done on this. Um, so I'm, let me give you something that you won't hear on any of those other podcasts because it just hit me the other day. I was like, you know, when we were kids, we played Star Wars and we were the heroes of Star Wars. And now we are not, and we won't be, and we will never be the heroes of Star Wars because we're the old guys now. Oh, yeah, I'm, like, I'm practically guys. Emperor Palpatine now. <laughs> <laughs> we are now the old bad guys. We can't be the cool young heroes now. When 54 and, uh, years old you be, see if you look this good. <laughs> hey, man, speak for yourself. I'm not too bad on Battlefront. <laughs> Moving just, down the that, list, the next guy sad. I thought is it was one of the unsung stars, and that was uh, Chirrut. Uh, I, I just loved the whole, uh, what is it, I am the force, the force is with me mantra mm-hmm. that he had. I, I, I just thought he, you know, the whole thing, I just, you know, he was I, underused. I, I agree. But Bays I thought Chirrut. he was he was just fascinating whenever he was on the screen. And just yep. even even the delivery of... Are you kidding me? I'm blind. <laughs> I just Do you think it. that was an ad lib or I heard it was an ad lib. <laughs> it's pretty good though. And uh yeah, he he struck me as as again probably the most George Lucasy of all the characters. Yeah, I didn't and think of it that from that perspective, but yeah, I I think you're right. They're going to do I think Greg Rucka is writing a novel about Bays and Chirrut. And I'm excited oh, we'll about that. We'll get some more on uh, the Journal of the Wills. Yeah, yeah. When well, they said it was a Guardian of the Wills, that's another right. point where I stood up and went, whoa, hey! Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing! Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I wanted more of them. I wanted more about them. I wanted uh, I wanted more Bays and Cheer, period. Period. Yeah, and I'm, I, even though he's later on the list, I'll just include Bays in that. I didn't think he captured the screen on his own the way Chirrut did. Well, but well, I, it was, I thought he it was, was a there, good compliment to him. It was their two deaths that I felt aside from K2SO that was touched the most, that it was more, that had more impact to it. Everybody else just kind of, even, yeah. even, um, Jen and, uh, Cassian. yeah, at the end was, wasn't, didn't, didn't hit as home as no. much. Yeah, no, no I, I agree. I agree completely. The, but you know, one of the things that they, they make the briefest of mentions of, and that's it, is that at one point Bayes was one of the fiercest of the guardians of the wills, and now he's a non-believer. And hmm. there's so much... See, you say, hmm, because uh, apparently you didn't even think about that. All no, right? I mean, I, I remember that, but I, I didn't... Yeah, I didn't... Well, I haven't seen the movie to, an extra and to, three times either. Yeah, <laughs> but to me, yeah, exactly. But you shouldn't have to. That should be something they should make an issue out of in the film. That should be part of his character. And it just kind of gets mentioned. Oh, yeah, by the way, he was uh, one of the fiercest, by the way, once, once upon a time. And, you know, this is a guy who lost his faith but he lost his faith in the force, but he didn't lose his faith in his friend. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot there, but they don't do anything with it. So that, again, goes back to the underwriting part of it. Yeah, I agree. Next on the list is Galen Urso. I agree with you guys that for the screen time he got, he was a very interesting character. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, what's his name, uh, Mads Mikkelsen captured the screen. I think he captured your attention. I think you, you know... Yeah, you you wanted to know a little bit more of the background than this guy, but I think you got enough to kind of feel like you knew who you were dealing with. And in typical Star Wars tradition, the guy you wanted to know more about went out like a punk. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, 
K two S O. I think he was one again one of the just one of the stars of this movie. He was just yep. so, and I thought he was one of the ones that might survive. I, I, I yeah, see yeah, it because you figure with, you he... know him and Jin somehow surviving. Well, because he's I really a droid, he could having children. Hmm? He could up, you know, being a droid, he could upload his consciousness or whatever or a backup of himself somewhere. They, you know, I'm not sure, but you they know, can hey. bring him back. They can bring him back. He can but, be great know, again. And one of the things about him that I really enjoyed was, you know, the animation. Hey, it looked a little CGI-ish. Uh, in the way he moved, but you could write that off as being a robot. But but I thought that they where they really hit a home run with him was his eyes. I thought his eyes were just amazingly expressive. Uh, I I it, to me his eyes were what made him work. I mean his quips were great and fun and his you know his look was neat. But but the eyes are what sold him as somebody that I'm going to relate to and believe in. I'm going to have to look more closely at that next time. I didn't really take yeah. note of that this time, but I. Uh... I thought the quips, as delivered by Alan Tudyk, were wonderful. Yes. Well, I think the delivery the eyes, had a lot to do with it. Didn't the eyes do, like, the electronic equivalent of a squint at some times? They would look like they would, like, narrow, like, the light they would, receptors. They would do all kinds of things. I mean, they would do yeah. all kinds of expressive, emotive things throughout the, the film. And, again, that, to me, was was re- what really sold me as, this is a guy. This is not some CGI character. This is a guy that I like in this movie. Uh, well, so, yeah, I... I, I, I ILM's animators, just for the eyes alone of uh, K2SO, I thought they did a spectacular job. Well, Tudor, uh, he did all the he did all the robots in in iRobot, and he, I think he did a good uh, a good performance there as well. I did not see iRobot. Are you not seeing that? Oh. No. Next on the list is Bodhi. And again, to me, he was he was kind of if if I didn't recognize him from having been in some other show, I I think I would have walked out and you would have mentioned Bodie and I'd say who? Yeah. See, I had no idea who he was, and I could have I I would have bet money that he was dead within five minutes from when he first appeared on the screen, just by the way they were way they portrayed him. Uh, that I thought these guys were going to take him somewhere and they're just going to kill him. You know, they're going to get the info that they want out of him for. The super weapon, and then he was going to be gone. I I didn't expect him to last as long as he did. Yeah, but fortunately, Star Wars door logic works. So when it was time for them to escape, obviously, and they, he was locked behind that door in that <laughs> cell. They shot it, and it opened. Of course. So, uh, and if they needed it to close, they could have shot it, and it would have closed. And if they needed to lock it, they could have shot it, and it would have locked. So uh, just any time you do anything with the door, just shoot it, and it'll do whatever you want it to do. Oh, that's what I do at home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the last guy on the list worth mentioning is uh, Sorgera. And as we kind of, you know, we kind of hit on it a little bit, I think his character could have been much more interesting. I think he could have given us more. And maybe at some point we're going to get a little bit more backstory on him or a little bit more of the development of yeah. how he became such a, uh, you know, a, a, an out, outlier from the from both well, ends. So, pretty well, he's going to be on Rebels. Yeah, it's that's what I was going to say. You're yeah. you're you're more you're more plugged into that than I am. Although it's been looking, I haven't watched any of the seasons yet. One because it's not on uh, Netflix yet, as far as I know, um, and I don't have cable anymore, so it's kind of tough to see it. Yeah, get the uh, get the Disney uh, XD app. Uh, I think it shows up on there for free. Yeah, but don't you have to be like a cable free. subscriber? I don't know. Yeah, I don't see, watch that's it what on the some app. of them. Yeah, so. Yeah, I'll give but, it a shot. Uh, 
There's ways yeah. around that. Yeah. Oh, there's oh, there's ways. <laughs> no so doubt. the last thing I want to touch on before we go to our review, you know, our final rating on this thing, is I'm interested to know what you two thought of the Michael Giacchino score. Hmm. Um. Uh, hmm. No, there was no themes that really stood out to me, like a like I didn't touch upon or pick up any, you know, like a Leia's theme or a Luke's theme, Yoda's theme, the the Imperial March. Uh, although I'm trying to think, I don't even really remember if when Vader appeared, maybe there was a subtle. Oh note no! To, oh, 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 oh. They, they no, yeah. Well, never mind. I'm going to shut up. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I mean, when, I mean, well, when Vader I mean, appeared, not only did they, well, I'm going to go ahead and shoot my mouth off. When Vader appeared, not only did they work in the Imperial March, but they also worked in his Star Wars theme. They worked that in as well, which I thought was just, uh, that gave me chills. As a guy who's just been a big fan of those scores uh, all my life, there's a lot of things Giacchino did that, that gave me chills. Go ahead, please, go ahead. <laughs> no, no. I mean, probably. Probably on repeated viewings, I'll probably pick more of that up. But just the first time, there was so much to take in looking at that scene. Oh, my God, this is Mustafar. He's he's in his castle that is, you know, from Macquarie artwork. Uh, but anyway, we're, talk- we're talking about the score. So, I mean, I I like the score. Um, maybe if uh, if if I I pick it up or re-listen, I'll pick more out of it. Um, but it was serviceable. It was good. See, I thought Giacchino was given a virtually impossible task to pick up where John yeah. Williams has left off and to kind of recreate that feeling without out-and-out out copying it. So I, I think it was, it was almost impossible. And I think he did a real good job. And I understand he came onto this very, very late and only had a couple of yes. weeks to put it together. So I'm, I'm giving him big high marks on this thing. Uh, a lot of times I would hear strains of things that, clearly came from prior John Williams stuff, but never fully copied it. And I thought that was a good way to play it. I thought he did a good job with that. And, I, I, you know, again, maybe on repeated viewings, maybe I'll feel more strongly, better or worse, than I do right now. But right now I would say I thought he did a, a real good job in an almost impossible job. Yeah, he... Uh, I, I really like the score. I, I like Michael Giacchino to start with. Uh, oh yeah, and yeah. He, he is I, a, his his work on season one of Lost. I I I own that score, and there's there's so many good tracks on that. It's 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 amazing. He is uh, he's also a John Williams devotee, so that helps. Uh, but yeah, I I love the way the movie opened. Uh, I was in fact I told people a lot. I said I wanted to open with a long time ago in a galaxy far far away, and then just hit the hit the streets running. I didn't want to crawl. I didn't think I thought the crawl should be saved for the the uh, you know the saga movies the real saga movies, uh, so I was happy to see it open the way it opened. But he helped with that that big musical blast right at the beginning. Uh, you know they kind of fooled us because they made it look like it was going to be a spaceship going it, yeah. over, but then it wasn't. No, it, it almost and it was kind of triangular looking the way they angled mm-hmm. it like it was going to be a star right. destroyer, and uh, thought that was awesome. Um, but then the, when they, they did that blast on, which, again, was a good substitute for the Star Wars logo blasting onto the screen. Um, but when they did that, they then followed it with this little piccolo solo, which, if you remember episode four, as the cross starts to trail and they start to, you know, pan down the stars or tilt down the star field. 
Oh yeah. You get a little piccolo solo there. So I thought that was a neat, a neat little, you know, evocation of that, that same instrumentation there. And, uh, there were different times where they worked in the Rebel theme. I thought the Rogue One theme itself was kind of an inversion of Star Wars. You know, um, again, they worked in the Rebellion theme. They worked in the Imperial theme. It was never quite full until later in the film, uh, which I thought was neat. Uh, they worked in the old Darth Vader theme, which had not been used since the original film. Um and, and I loved it because of that. If you remember, the theme I'm talking about is when... Uh, the, the, I think it's best heard when Vader's first interrogating Leia at the beginning of the film. You know the one I'm talking about? Hmm. I mean, no? I, I, I recognize the music when you hummed it out. Yeah, okay, okay, good. Yeah, they use it throughout the first film, and then they never do it again because the Imperial March. I mean, how do you how do you not use that when you've got it? Um but, but he did a great job, I thought, of weaving in the new stuff, weaving in the old stuff. He really did go back to more of a leitmotif style of, of composition than I think even Williams did with the prequels. Uh, I, I thought Williams went a little off the reservation with the prequels by stepping away from leitmotif, which is, you know, everything, every scene, every sequence, every character has their theme, and here's how we interweave all of these themes. Uh, I, I thought he did a lot less of that in the prequels than I was happy with, and I, I thought Giacchino stepped back and said, "You know, let's let's take this back to the Episode Four approach." Uh, so I was really happy yeah. with it. And I got the I got the album. I will say I have one big beef with the album, and that, that is at is. the end of the album. At the end of the album, they have these three suites, which are kind of you know here's our basically it's, here's our fundamental music for each set of characters and and you know their situations. What they don't have is the closing credits music. And I know it's usually just stuff that's taped together from some of these concert suites that they put together. But, you know, there's not this sense of the music building up to the final scene, building up to da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, and into that. That's not on the album. And I feel a little deprived because I'm like, that. you know, to me it's the capper on the whole listening experience to hear that closing credits music. Right. And and it's just not there. They they do the scene leading up to the home or hope. I mean, and then it just kind of goes bump, and then that's it. So anyway, but overall, I I really enjoyed the score a lot. I loved it. I bought the CD. Uh, I've listened to it a number of times, and I just I think there's a lot of nuance there. And I think the more you guys watch the film, the more you'll appreciate that score. I think I think it's a movie. Honestly, I think it's a movie that gets better with repeated viewings. Period. Because. A lot of it is because it is so spare. The more you learn about it, the more you see, and the more you experience, and the more you like. I, 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 like I said, that's that's my anticipation on it. So I kind of agree with you on that. Uh, so now we're hitting the point where we're ready to say, "Is this Jaws?" Now, do you know the Jaws scale? I'm going to tell you it anyway. But <laughs> the Jaws scale is. Jaws, a classic, a great movie, one of the best of all time. Jaws 2, really solid movie, holds up to repeated viewings, uh, definitely worthwhile, and you know, just good, a good, good movie. Jaws 3, worth seeing, enjoyable, but nothing special. Jaws 4, a piece of crap. So far, the, Jaws, <laughs> is, the is It Jaws reviews have not had a Jaws 4 yet. Scott, wow! Why don't you go first? 
Uh, I'm going to call this Jaws 2. Maybe Jaws 2 Plus. Um, I Look, it's Star Wars. And it's well done Star Wars. And I can't ask for more than that. And it's had so many fanboy references and Easter eggs in it that, uh, you know, and, and again, stands up to repeated viewings. And that's important. Uh, because if it were something you watched once and never need to see again, uh, that would disappoint me. Star Wars movies have always been about going back to see them again and again. You know what I mean? You know what I mean, because you guys were there mm-hmm. uh, when the first ones came out. And so you know that it's a lot of this is, is it, does it have rewatchable, is there rewatchability to it? And, and in this movie, with those X-Wings moving like the model X-Wings did in episode four, uh, that big battle sequence at the end, AT-ATs versus X-Wings or AT-ACs versus X-Wings, um, this is a movie you want to see again, and it rewards you by seeing it again. So I, I give it Jaws two, maybe Jaws two plus. Right. Doctor Bill, um, I'm gonna pull a card from the last time I, I was on, and say that this is a two and a three, because <laughs> no, no, no. Let me explain. Because the last time I was on, we did Terminator Genesis, correct? Yes. So. My point is saying, <laughs> yes, we, we see your X-Wing, Scott. It's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> now you can pull your pants up, please. <laughs> if only he were wearing them. Uh, so, <laughs> so what I mean by that is that as a Star Wars fan, this movie is, is good. It is a two. It's like you said, it's, it's a two plus. I'm sure when it comes out on... Blu-ray, DVD, I'm going to watch it again and again, and I'm going to enjoy it. Now, let's look. If you took if you took all of the... What was that? Oh, that was a Falcon. Okay. If you took all of the Star Wars material and references and Easter eggs out of it and looked at it as a standalone movie, or someone who doesn't have all the history and baggage of Star Wars that we do and to come in and watch it, I don't think they would get the same level of enjoyment out of it and they would be a three. And that's where I go with the two and the three. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to find myself firmly in the middle of you two. Who is that? Whoa. Whoa. That's uh, the different version of um, Snaggletooth. Not the short one, the big one. small on my screen. But uh, I'm going to say I rank it as a two. Okay. Now I see. (laughs) (laughs) I rank it as a two, and I rank it as a firm two. Uh, I think if you're a Star Wars fan, it doesn't quite, to me, reach the level of some of the best of Star Wars, but it's certainly very entertaining, very enjoyable, and I do think I'm going to enjoy it on repeated viewings. Uh, If you're not particularly Star Wars fan, I think the action will capture you. I think there's enough uh, kind of mixing of genres, taking it into the war movie motif and all of that, the Dirty Dozen, Magnificent Seven kind of feel, that I think you could still find it entertaining and watch it and not really have much of a problem with it. But I don't know if it reaches the level of being, you know, where it's borderline classic. I don't think we're at that level. So I'm going to go, I'm not going to go two plus, I'm going to go just firm two. Are those stickers? No, those were pins. Oh. But they were Star Wars gingerbread characters. That's what I thought it looked like for a second. <laughs> you, you, Your wife is a wonderful lady. <laughs> <laughs> She's an enabler. Well, aren't, aren't all of our women enablers in their own way? Not, not no matter mine. How much they, no matter how much they may tell you, I don't want you to do this, aren't they really enablers just the same? 
Anyway, hang on. I want to say first of all, this is a coaster, by the way. Oh, Club Club Obi Wan. -Wan. Oh yeah. Uh, Before before I get into it, I just want to tell anybody who's got any comments. uh, We do have an email address: jawspodcast at gmail dot com. Please feel free to let us know what you thought of this, where you think we're off base, where you think we're on point, and anything else (laughs) you have to comment about the show. Uh, That said, Scott, thanks so much for coming on with us. Bill, well, thanks for having me. I don't have to thank uh, Bill as you know. much because he's always here. Hey, <laughs> I'm not always on this show. For a guy who lives hundreds and hundreds of miles away from me, it's like we, we live in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's been... definitely a, a certain Archie and uh, what the hell's her name? Jughead. <laughs> Jughead? Archie, Jack... <laughs> Edith. Archie and Archie and Edith mental uh, dynamic oh. between. See, I always thought this more as Bud and Lou. Bud and Lou, you know, well, never mind. I don't have time to go into that. I'll go into that later, some other time. But uh, I just, look, I appreciate you having me on. I know that we've been trying to do something for a while, and we need to do something sooner. Uh, and after I've already shot my mouth off about Rogue One to everybody else on the planet, you still wanted to have me here because I still want to talk about it. So it worked out great. Cool. I'm, I'm glad you did, and I'm glad you were able to get on. And we will not wait so long before we do something together again. Uh, since Dinner for Geek seems to be maybe resurrecting, why don't you give everybody a little idea of what that is? Because they may not have heard it for a long time, and they may not remember what it is. Uh, oh, Dinner for Geeks is... Uh, I'm trying to get it back together. The great thing is you're going to get to hear something that I talked about last year, which was Dinner for Geeks Civil War, uh, <laughs> which mm. which will actually erupt on Dinner for Geeks over time if, if, uh, if I stay on schedule. Um, right now, like, uh, I'm doing a mixture of old and new episodes. Cause we, you know, we went on hiatus for a while. There's a couple of reasons. I'll be, well, you know, some of the things we t- I talked about before we went on the air, which is just, I got too busy, but th- some of the other reasons were I was just a little dispirited, uh, by the things that were happening within the group dynamic. Um, but it's all recorded and it's all there. And I'm now going back through it. And so right now what you're getting is a mix of episodes that we're recording fresh and a mix of episodes that we recorded at this point, I think I'm up to October 2015. So, uh, but starting in the spring of last year, we recorded a series of episodes that ultimately became Civil War. Uh, I'll You'll find out why when they're released. But uh, that should be coming out this year. Uh, I don't think you're talking about the Marvel listening movie, to, are you? Uh, Dinner for Geeks, and I'm looking forward to getting some more of it. Yeah, it'll be Road to Civil War and then Civil War. <laughs> and Dr. Bill, as much as I joke around about it, thank you so much for coming on with me again. I always, there's a reason we record so much together, and it's not just convenience. Yeah, it's only been five hours this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but five hours, but we have three shows out of it. Yep. <laughs> 